The Third Man Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Podcast. This is Jack White, Third Man Records History Program, and I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. James, we've got a double feature today. Ooh. The first time we've ever done this on the show. We are splitting our topic right in half, and we're going to do not one topic, but two topics. It's choose your own topics at... Dairy Queen. I I was trying to come up with some place that you could choose your own topping at. That would be a fun joke, and that didn't. That wasn't it. It wasn't. Uh, is hot topic anything? Not really. Is that um, <laughs> I I opened one of these for the last one, and I'm opening the second one for this one. I Dad gave me a bottle of Fireball when it's they not moved. Good. No, when they moved to. Uh, from New Jersey to Florida, Dad said, we're not taking our alcohol. Do you want any of this? And I said, yeah, obviously, I will obviously, take it all. Yeah. And so I took the bottle of Fireball, and I have had no sips of it <laughs> since it's, he gave it to me. <laughs> it's awful. Because, well, it's a party drink, right? but, like, it's a drink to have at a bar, and you get a shot of Fireball, you're like, that was bad, and then you continue on your day. Yeah, on your day. It's like day. a pickleback. Um, <laughs> on your morning, you go to work. <laughs> you continue on your morning. <laughs> Susanna went to a Galentine's Day yesterday, and um, one of the ladies there was newly single, and uh, they gave out little gift, shots of fire and gave out little gift bags, and they were these. And Susanna, Susanna literally took them out of the bag and said, "These are yours." And so I said, "Okay." No, James. Today it's our first time doing a double feature, and I've called this episode "Luck and Fame." which is very mm. close to one of the lyrics from a White Stripes song, but it's not quite there, so we're just going to go ahead and ignore that aspect of it. <laughs> but basically, we're going to cover two things. 
We are going to cover the Luck Mansion Sessions 45 releases by Third Finally. Man Records. Yeah, because these things, I, I, I tell you, all right, another parting of the podcast kimono here. When James and I are coming up with topics, it's not always because we forgot and had to do something last minute. Sometimes it's because we literally, like, it's just things we want to know about, and we're pretty certain no one else cares. Which is how the podcast started. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of those things where when we were, when I was thinking, like, I was going to be like, all right, well, we should probably do, like, an elephant analysis and review. But then I got to thinking, yeah, but what are those luck sessions, though? Because I don't know. Really? Everybody talks about them in the collectors groups and everywhere else. They're like, and yeah, those the luck mansion setting. Uh, what is the luck mansion? I need to know why are half of the singles not available to anybody? I guess like unless Margot Price hands it to you personally. Like what? What's yeah. up with this? Well, so I've got many answers for you, James. Not all of them, but many answers for the luck mansion sessions spotlight topic we're going to do for half this episode and then the other half james will bring on our third person steven mercier our beloved cousin-in-law i guess he's just a cousin at this he's point he's just a cousin you don't have point. to say in-law do you uh well i call you my brother-in-law it's just because it's just because, what the law requires yeah. <laughs> you're my brother because legally we are yeah we are going <laughs> to talk with steven a uh, rock journalist a uh, teacher of the youth, a an all-around learned individual. He's going to give us a background on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction process, and that's the fame part of the luck and fame, you see. So we're going to talk in detail about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, inverted commas, why it's bullshit, inverted commas, and... <laughs> uh, there, there's a lot to unpack there. We had a blast talking with Stephen. We can't wait for you all to hear that because honestly, it was stuff I didn't know and became very depressed by. So, yeah. spoiler, it's meaningless. <laughs> yeah, you're in for a real bummer. Um, but James, before we get to all that, hold up. Nope. Wait a tick. One damn minute, everyone. James, do you want to? Yeah, this is uh, a. <laughs> people, what hold up is? I know you don't like since it. Since we had one of these, I know you don't uh, like it, and you can say it. It's okay. Let's context. Anyway, it's a, it's a little bit more context into uh, a subject or or a thing we talked about in an episode. That's not really a smell effect. Uh, it's just more just some context to some stuff we heard about. Well, yeah, it has to do with Jack White. I mean... Oh, sure. No, no, it has to do with <laughs> my friend. <laughs> so, yes, Hold Up is when we find a little, like, tidbit of something that doesn't really have much to do with anything, but it does give broader context to something. So we talked in the episode with Ben Blackwell and I think before too, episode 158 we talked about peaches and we asked him <gasps> when he thought Jack White may have first interacted with peaches the I love um, the hard P you give to that yeah well the the, uh, the, the feminist rock icon peaches uh, who's, who's made a number of seminal recordings <laughs> uh-huh. over the year uh-huh. uh, years and anyway she released uh, a record on Third Man Records last year 
Our James mom is, listens to this. James is just catching up <laughs> to me making a seminal pun. And <clears throat> anyway, we asked Ben about it, and we thought, oh, did Peaches maybe interact with Jack for the first time on the big day out tour circuit thing in Australia in the early 2000s? And that may have been true. And Ben said that that was likely true. But I found something. Mm. I was at the Amoeba, and I was digging through... Not the third man box, but just the indie box. And I came across a Peaches 45. Now, if I come across a Peaches 45 in an indie box, I'm going to pull that sucker out and take, take a quick peek. So I took a look and I saw, oh, hey, it's Peaches. It's a song called Rock Show. This is interesting. I turned the flip. I flipped it over. The B-side is the exact same song as performed by Electric Six. Huh. And this was recorded and released in 2003. So right around the time, I mean, not long after Danger High Voltage, right around the time of Big Day Out. So she was in the White Stripes orbit. She was in the Detroit orbit. Electric Six, for those who don't know, is a Detroit band. Jack guest vocaled on Danger High Voltage. was an excellent song and probably their biggest hit, aside from gay bar right yeah, that was the other one right gay bar yeah they 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 definitely have a similar audience i think peaches and electric six it's a it's kind of satire to a degree right yeah it a makes little... sense that those two would be connected yeah The song was written by Peaches, a.k.a. Meryl Nisker. That's her actual name. And I did not realize this. She is from Toronto. Isn't that nice? A land She's not Canadian. known for Peaches. She's Canadian. And uh, so anyway, I found that to be interesting that she was not only interacting with Jack uh, in the Big Day Out tour, but she actually put out a release with Electric Six, which is really, really interesting and fun for me. And that was enough for me to go, hold up! And... Because of that, you have given me a little bit of additional context and some extra content. So context is everything. All right, James, you ready to learn about the Luck Mansion sessions? I'm feeling lucky. So you may have seen in a 45 box near you these things, these Luck Mansion sessions. I and have. What, what you'll notice is there's a black and white photograph yes. of a head of an artist on one side, and on the flip, there's a different one. Yes. It's a bunch of them. Yes. You find, I assumed they were trash and threw them away. 
You find them in these bins. You find them on the website. James and I actually covered this several times on the show, and every time we do, we're like, but what is that, though? And then we move on and, and don't address it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like proper fake rock journalists. Yes, yes. We, we, just, we just play one on the radio. But it, it became sort of interesting to us because not only did Margot Price participate in one of these things and release a 45, mm-hmm. but Lily May, Rishi, pre- the just Lily May thing. So this is, but she had the mohawk. So it's pre just Lily May, but post mohawk, right in that window. And so there's artists we love, obviously, on them. And then when I was at Amoeba and I was digging through the the same box I found the peaches in, I <laughs> the also fruit, not the the apple. I, I came across one of these forty fives. The Luck Mansion Sessions, and normally I just go, oh, I think I have that one, or I think I don't, and kind of don't then brush by it. But this one just happened to be Aaron Lee Tasjan, who James introduced me to recently with his wonderful album, Tasjan, Tasjan, Tasjan. And it's a fantastic record, and this guy's fantastic. I had no idea he was involved in this Luck thing. And that got me thinking, hey, what is that? It is super coincidental. Uh, I had no idea he had any third man connections. Uh, on top of that, he just played at that um, uh, the benefit for women's reproductive rights that third man put on. All of a sudden, this Tashin, he's popping up everywhere. Yeah, and he's great. He's good. He's very good. If you haven't heard him, uh, listen to that album, Tashin, 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 that I ordered two of in a drunken stupor and sent one to Paul. I'm happy you did. I'm going to drop a little bit of that here. We've seen Bowie and Bowling and Jagger too, Grace Jones, Joan Jett, and Two Wong Fu. I got a feminine wolf. I got a feminine wolf. Rolled out in New York City like Metropolitan Conway Twitty. Got my smoker's cough in a Brooklyn loft. Used so, what is the Luck Mansion? You may be asking yourself. I Yes, I have been. Willie Nelson's Luck Texas Ranch was originally built for the 1986 film The Red-Headed Stranger and today serves as an event venue and family home. It is known globally as the home of the annual Luck Reunion Music festival willie nelson okay so the people who are on the sessions make sense now Mm -hmm. they're all big willie fans big Mm -hmm. willie style big willie style right (laughs) yes um and so family home confuses me who's family all right so (laughs) the red-headed stranger is willie nelson's nickname via southernliving.com You've likely heard Willie Nelson referred to as the red-headed stranger. I haven't. I know I haven't. Not no, Thank you. But thank you, Southern Living. Thank you, southernliving.com. That's your, the end of the quote. <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate the sweet tea recipe and this elaboration. While you may think the nickname comes from his 1975 album, Red-Headed Stranger, again, didn't know. Didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> didn't know but about thanks. that one. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I appreciate uh, the Kentucky Fried Chicken. I don't know much about the South. I'm so sorry. The backstory is a little more involved than that. In fact, the red-headed stranger isn't a Willieism, 
but rather a song title of a tune first written in 1953 by entertainment critic and lyricist Edith Lindman and composer and radio announcer Carl Stutz. As shared in Lindman's obituary, her full name was Edith Lindman Kalich, but her songs were written under her maiden name. Red-Headed Stranger originally had some very different plans for itself. The song was, quote, a Western ballad originally intended for Perry Cuomo. Huh. Because of a publishing dispute, Mrs. Kalich said the tune never reached Cuomo. It did, however, make it into the hands of Nelson, Willie, and in 1975... <laughs> It became the title track of Nelson's Billboard Country chart-topping album of the same name. Quote, I was just sitting at home one night playing with the idea of colors. Lindman reflected of the song's origins, as shared in her, in her obituary. The red-headed stranger Lindman was thinking of when she wrote the tune was her husband, A. Woolner Kalich. And the song was set in Blue Rock, Montana miles and miles away from Nelson's Texas stomping grounds. So you may be thinking to yourself, huh, Willie got hold of that tune, didn't he? And he ran it right up the charts. The red-headed stranger from Blue Rock, Montana rode into town one day And under his knees was a raging black stallion walking Behind was a babe A red-headed stranger Had eyes like thunder And his lips, they were sad and tight His little lost love Lay asleep on the hillside And his heart was heavy as night Don't cross him, don't boss him He's wild in his sorrow He's riding... But what does that have to do with a ranch? Well, there's a film, James. Okay. I've heard of these. Called <laughs> The Red-Headed Stranger that was released in 1986 via IMDb. A plot summary reads as such. Revisionist Western about fallen preacher Shay, who guns down his wife, Raisha, for running off with another man. Wandering, he meets single mom Lori. However, helpless Sheriff Scobie wants Shay to help him fight the villainous Clavers. So that's what that movie's about, and it's rated R. The red-headed stranger from Blue Rock, Montana Rode into town one day And under his knees now available on video cassette from Charter Entertainment at all Western Washington Safeway Superstores. And in 1986, you had to do a lot to get something rated R, let me tell you. So I'm thinking people were hanging dong. There's lots going on in this, in this film here. Now, Willie Nelson stars in that film opposite Morgan Fairchild. Again, Willie Nelson... This is... Breaking news. 
Willie Nelson was in a movie. <laughs> Didn't know. An actual film. Opposite Morgan Fairchild, called The Red-Headed Stranger, where he shoots his wife for running around behind his back. It's a real forgot about Dre situation. Okay, so this man's starring in a movie. Uh, I have never heard of it. I've never heard of the person that wrote the song. I haven't heard a lot of this, but apparently this ranch, pretty great. I am, in fact, going to watch it. Um, <laughs> All right. So here's a fun fact, James. Can we do Can we do that as like a as a just a review? We'll both watch it. Oh, a bonus! Just, some bonus content yeah, for the Patreon. And, because we've never done any. <laughs> That's good. And we should. And we should just talk about that. Because yeah. talk about the movie. Okay. Uh, so, James, the fun fact. You want to hear my fun fact on this? Is it fun? There, uh, Willie was not originally intended to be in this film. As the starring role. Do you know who was? Let's see. Other famous stoners. Uh, Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Levon Helm was originally cast in the movie as a U.S. Marshal before filming began, but Helm shot himself in the leg while practicing quick-draw techniques in his backyard, and the role had to be recast. So what you're telling me is that Levon Helm, another non-movie star, (laughs) shot himself. To our knowledge, has no business acting. Shot himself? Yeah. And they said, who, who, do, who we do we get? get? Who are we going to get? Let's get this bearded man. Somebody woke up from a mountain of cocaine on their desk and said, who are and we going to get? And it was Willie. <laughs> so the only reason he has this ranch is because it came from the movie. And therefore, That's... and so he got the ranch. He bought it after... And the only reason he was attached to it, because Levon Helm shot himself in the leg. And that's why I sent you that that cryptic text last night, James, mm-hmm. that Levon Helm accidentally shooting himself was kind of the reason why the Luck Mansion sessions exist. A text that let me let me see that. Let's see. Let's see the the send receipt on that in my time here. Oh, OK, it wasn't that. I thought it was later because we you did tell me about Shirley Temple's <laughs> daughter. <laughs> At 1.10 a.m., which I replied to. <laughs> but you sent me this Levon Helm fact at, at 11 p.m. last night, and yeah. I was interested, also tired, but the 1 a.m. one... The 1 a.m. one was better, actually. It was a real chin-scratcher. It was a better... It was a better... T- <laughs> well, that is a whole other thing. But basically, the Melvins... That's... The, you know what? No, that's going to be its own... <laughs> okay. Hold up later on. Okay. So... Willie Nelson owns this thing, and the Luck Presents is a signature event called the Luck Reunion held every year in mid-March. And it is a recurring music festival at that location of the Red-Headed Stranger Ranch, which Willie bought and calls Luck, Texas. And therefore, it is that is the Luck... Re- I don't know why they say reunion, but it is a, basically it's an Americana music festival held in Willie Nelson's premises... <laughs> that features people and i guess the reunion thing was thrown was was bandied about yeah with these sessions and everyone's like the luck so, so people would say either the luck mansion sessions or the luck reunion sessions and i was 
I, yeah. I was like, are there two different ones? So there's different places on the ranch. There's a, that's why sometimes you see there's a luck chapel sessions because there's a chapel on the, on the grounds. <sighs> luck ranch is the ranch board. So the festival uh, occurs in, in Spicewood, Texas, I guess. I get, Willie calls it Luck, Texas, or whatever. Um, via their Facebook page, inspired by its annual, quote, anti-festival hosted on Willie Nelson's Luck, Texas property, Luck Reunion creates unique spaces for cultural discovery. Nearly 10 years ago, a group of friends came together with a vision for a new kind of live music experience. We knew we wanted to honor the cross-section culture that has long motivated creative tradition to preserve traditions of music, food, and craft, and to create a stage for modern-day outliers who are influenced by legacies before us. What started as a one-day event has grown into a community, a platform for us to share the ethos of luck and bring together musicians, chefs, and artisans who are contributing to American roots culture in an authentic way. In addition to the flagship annual event, luck produces content and experiences both in and out of luck with the mission of providing a space for craftsmanship, preservation, and discovery our goal is to attract musicians, artists, and chefs. I don't know why chefs. <laughs> Who, like the outlaws and outliers before them, follow their dreams without compromise. And I guess they keep calling this Luck, Texas, but it's located at 1100 B Creek Road in Spicewood, Texas. And I have a little map here that I'm looking at, and it's right along a, a river, it seems. And that's uh, it seems quite scenic, James. It's a river that Willie calls the Luck River, but uh, is yeah, actually, but actually called something different. And everything's actually called something different. Everybody just knows it's called Luck, and except me, and you. Yeah, why? Why would we not know? Or or why would we know? Or whatever. It's, it's filled. You. It's filled with chefs. I yeah, and just, it actually gets more mysterious the more we learn about it. So, I mean, I, I get chef, chef, chefing. Yeah, yeah, chefing, chefing. is is artistry. In its the chefing right. arts is what they call yeah. <laughs> but it's it's the, the the highlighting of it is what's strange but i guess somewhere around the turn of the like somewhere around 2011 or thereabouts it changed they decided to put a music festival on basically okay so they said chefs yeah you, goodbye get out of here chefs, you, you barely beat out, out. <laughs> you barely beat woodworkers in this festival okay we there are other forms of artistry and we chose you above woodworker but you're out of here it was close so i guess in all of this it, 10 years ago they decided to make it a music festival again via their facebook page 10 years ago we asked if we i don't know who the we is we asked if we could have the keys to luck <laughs> sure we didn't really think we'd get a yes the ranch had never been open to the public before, but we suppose our landlord saw some magic in this vision and knew how luck could be a community for both artists and fans. 
We can't wait to share more memories from the archive, some never-before-seen performances, ticketed shows beyond reunion, and to welcome new members to the Luck family as we celebrate in 2022. So that's a recent thing. So I guess much like Graceland or Neverland, Willie has decided to name his his home his home luck and they're like but isn't it the red-headed stranger mansion sure i don't know where the luck comes from i like i said i have some of the answers i don't have all of the answers so i also don't really know like where third man comes into this other than the fact that they're loosely part like they're spiritually i guess they just put it out they were the yeah the label for these and they had margo and so so but um, so there's also a Luck Foundation. There's like a, a thing there, which, according to their website, it says preserving and supporting the music and cultural community inspired by the work of Willie Nelson and the Luck Reunion family. The Luck Family Foundation provides financial grant assistance and other resources for artists, organizations and programs in need. Resources raised by the Luck Family Foundation will be used to support organizations and programs which will serve music, food, and the preservation of American Roots legacy. Again, the, the food thing seems awfully it's, prominent in there. I feel, I feel like I'm in a dictionary, like, paradoxical loop where it's just like, I, I want the definition to luck. And it's just like, all right, well, it's it's this thing, which, so you flip to that page, it's just like, it means luck. And it's like, okay, well, I just want to know... <laughs> Stop it. Like, in a court of law, tell me, what is luck? I think it's like Graceland. Like, okay. I think that's what it is. But what's the reunion? Is is the reunion a spiritual... Like, he's just... Yeah. Everybody's reuniting. But right. they never... Were they ever united? Were you, they ever united the first time? That I can't tell you. I can't tell you that. The luck union. They, call, they just not like they unions? No. We've, we're all stars. We're all made of stars, as Moby once said. <laughs> hey, now. I'm coming off really aggressive towards this very non-aggressive musical figure. I'm very sorry. We <laughs> just, Nelson. we're not versed in the Willie. So third man's involvement first reached our tender little ears in 2016, September 19th through 24th. The luck mansion sessions were held. Third man rented out a house in East Nashville where a whole mess of local artists got together to jam and cut a collection of 45s. They called it a pop-up luck mansion and played in the parlor. And they'll be released one by one in 2017, featuring amongst others Lily May, partnered with Longhorn Slim and Margot Price, not playing with her usual band. So for some what's, so it's not it did not take place on the premises of luck. Premises. But what's of luck. the connection to Willie in this case? I think it's just Willie is an idea. <laughs> So this is nonsense. Like, I could call <laughs> dinner tonight the luck... Oh, well, because I'm a chef, you see. <laughs> it's a luck session. <laughs> Everything's just nonsense in this world anyway. In 2017, on March 10th, the first round of releases were announced, according to Third Man's website. Third Man Records is proud to release the first three sessions from our partnership with the good people who helm luck reunion. Okay, okay. Held this past September during Americana Week. Third Man and Luck partnered to bring together both Americana legends and newcomers. The goal was to share in the artists' mutual appreciation for roots-based music and see what they could create in a spontaneous situation, a collaborative but immediate live recording atmosphere. 
This round of releases set for March 17th is available for pre-order today and will feature Sarah Jaros, Parker Millsap, Aaron Lee Tasjan, Lily Hyatt, Dylan LeBlanc, and Rayland Baxter. Wish I was in Austin At the chilly parlor bar Drinking Mad Dog Margaritas And not caring where you are I'm sitting here in double poster Of an old rodeo Just give me one On August 17th, the second round of releases were announced. In March, we shared with the world the encounters between Sarah Jaros and Parker Millsap, Lily Hyatt and Aaron Lee Tasjan, and Dylan LeBlanc and Raylan Baxter. Next Friday, August 25th, we are pleased to release the recorded coming together of Josh Headley and Aaron Ray and John Paul White and Rodney Crawwell. Headley and Aaron Ray's performance included Hank Williams Jr.'s Old Habits and a thoroughly haunting rendition of Guy Clark's My Favorite Picture of You. Headley and Ray, both top-respected voices in the Nashville local country scene, have never been more in their elements. I tried the hard stuff I had to let all that go My favorite picture of you is the one where you're staring straight into the lens. Just a Polaroid shot someone took on the spot. Is this before Mr. Jukebox? It is. This is 2017. Traditional country crooning, tight harmonies. And the most lonesome set of songs Third Man Recording Equipment has ever captured. Headley, a mainstay on Nashville's most respected lower Broadway honky-tonk Roberts, has recently been signed to Third Man Records. Details of the release of his forthcoming debut solo record will be announced soon, so that answers that question for you. Mm -hmm. John Paul White and Rodney Crowell performed Crowell's The Girl on the Street, as well as one of three original tunes penned for the Luck Mansion Sessions, don't think that I can't feel you when you're gone. About the new song, John Paul White says, It's the first song we attempted to write. It gave us both an excuse to sit down and write a song. 
It was literally the only times we've ever played those songs. I don't rehearse ahead of time. We didn't work out harmony parts and guitar parts. You pretty much captured all of the process. Don't Think That I Can't Feel You When You're Gone is White and Crowell's first co-write, but not the first collaboration of the pair. White joined Roseanne Cash on vocals for the song It Ain't Over Yet off Crowell's 2017 release Close Ties, parentheses, New West. The song and the record have been nominated by the American Music Association in the categories of Song and Album of the Year. Now that's the 2017 stuff. And then the two last things, which I, I don't have like good explanations for for you. I'm sorry, I don't. Is it the, why yeah. did they not release the others? <clears throat> In 2018, on September 13th, Marco Price and Shovels and Rope is, I guess, released. Margo's release is for some reason later the following year in 2018, unclear as to the reasoning, but worth pointing out that this could have had something to do with clearing the way for Margo's sophomore LP, All American Made, which was released in 2017, uh, which was the year of the release of the previous round of singles. And earlier in the year, Margo participated in a Luck Reunion 2018 chapel sessions performing with Band of Heathens. So... The other thing is there's no mention of the Lily May release that I could really find. I know it exists because it's backed with Longhorn Slim and I found it on Discogs. But it's like one of these hers and the Margot things are these two addendums that I can't really explain much. Now Margot Margot's Luck Session I know was available at Third Man Records. Ex- I, I, I don't know if this is exclusive or whatever, but it was available the day that Margot played the rooftop concert there. Huh. And you could get it at Third Man that day. Huh. Maybe it had something to do with her deal, because we know she only had a two-record deal, so maybe they could only release it through the storefront or something. I... So Lily May's album, Forever and Then Some, also came out in 2017. So... Could it have been them moving it out of the way of the LP releases? Would that have been weird if a non-album song attached to this other thing came out? I I don't know. Lily Mays may have also been available during the record release at Third Man or something. You know, they occasionally they do that. I mean, like I said, the Margo one was available that day as as like a special special thing. It may have been a Rolling Record store. Yeah, exclusive. It's, it's weird because they don't even list. I mean. <laughs> It's, I, I tried to buy the Lily May and the Margo ones, and they go for hundreds of dollars. They're very yeah. expensive, you yeah, because they're very hard to find. You can't get them anywhere. Um, so that's uh, that's frustrating. But, yeah, I, I really don't know why they are so exclusive, but they are um, pretty cool. The, the, I mean, it's up Third Man's wheelhouse. They love exclusivity yeah. in terms of merchandise. But it's odd that they held back their two-star performers in that way. Yes, because, well, I guess those are the ones I want. Yeah, those would, exactly, yeah. Well, now and now I can shovels add, and rope. I also would want. I can add Tasjan to, like to the list because that's you, true. you made me. A we fan. like a Tasjan, Tasjan, Tasjan. Anyway, um, so that's it. That's uh, that's the luck mansion sessions explained, sort of it, with holes. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, I'm off to become a famous chef, I guess, and join Willie's uh, empire of luck. Should we throw it to our second? topic in this double feature james and our third person of this week stephen mercier hmm 
Oh, he's thinking about it. It's pensive. Very pensive. James is thinking about it. Okay, but can we call this the luck person segment? <laughs> yes, we can, James. Okay, let's bring it to our luck person segment. <laughs> Right, we would like to welcome our third person this week, Stephen Mercier. How are you doing, Stephen? Doing awesome. How are you guys doing? Well, oh, we're we're doing okay. We're here. We're doing, yeah, we've got I've got this kitten right here that's gonna join us for the recording. He's there. He is. That, yeah. 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 Uh, he's gonna sit on my shoulder just like that for the duration of the recording. <laughs> and. Um, this is my. He's like a parrot on your shoulder, man. Yeah, it's my podcast support kitten. Uh, he is licensed with the state of California, <laughs> ironically illegal in the United States. A lot like marijuana, where you can, if you're in California, listen, toke a fat toke, but don't tell anybody in Vermont. Do you know what I mean? Is it legal in Vermont? I, I mean, Ben and Jerry are there, Paul. Of course it's legal in Vermont. Stephen Mercier is a, uh, a friend, a family member, a music aficionado, the man who introduced me at a young age to craft work, which I'll be forever grateful for. And Stephen was also a music uh, journalist when he started out. And what we're going to do today is we're going to talk with Stephen here a little bit about the rules of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the eligibility, or the upcoming eligibility of the White Stripes in said Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But Stephen, why don't you give us a bit of your music background first? Uh, what were you listening to as a kid? What brought you to music journalism initially? And why did you say, enough with this nonsense. I'm going to have a real career. Well, I was just listening to music the moment I could think of, like the, my first moments in childhood. It just really made an impact on me. I mean, I was born in 77, and I could probably tell you starting in 1982, like everything that they would play on the radio, it was yeah. just like so much time that I spent on listening to the radio and just really, I guess at that point, my mind was already kind of looking at music in an analytical way. So I was always like knowing the names of the bands, the band members, their discographies, all that stuff. Now, where where did you where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Western Massachusetts in the Berkshires. Yeah. yeah. So maybe two hours and forty five minutes from Boston and fifty minutes away from Albany, New York. So you were listening to Road Runner, Road Runner, thousand miles per hour. Massachusetts song? Anyone? No, no I don't know. know. Nothing. Really? For, yeah. No, I'm in I love just with was, Massachusetts. Wait, that's. I mean, that, isn't that the? Um, oh, I forgot. I forgot his name. There's something about Mary. Is that? Is that what you're talking about? Hold on, I'm gonna look this up. You're, the way you're singing, it sounds a lot like Cheech Marin. <laughs> uh, no, it's not Paul Weller. Road runner, road runner. It's like uh, remember, it's of oh, the modern lovers. The modern road lovers runner. with with the um, Jonathan something Richmond. That wasn't a quiz. I was just like, it was a Massachusetts. It was a Massachusetts. Thing. If it was a quiz, I have failed. <laughs> no, John Hodgman tried to make that the official Massachusetts theme song. See, that's the thing. It's like I'm like right on the border of Massachusetts and New York. So definitely, I mean, you can hear it from my accent. I'm I'm definitely 
Boston, yeah. Eastern Massachusetts. That's just like right. But I don't know. It, were they from Northampton? I, oh yeah, I believe they were, and it was Jonathan Richmond. You were right. See, we if it if that was a quiz, you passed, baby. <laughs> Flying colors. Yeah, <laughs> see, I, I Northampton. That's like 30, 40 minutes away from me, and I've been there, and, and their music scene is amazing. They have this like really amazing venues they have this venue called iron horse yeah where you get like some artists like windham hill type artists like jazz and different kinds of people like that and you get a nice meal and you have an intimate setting sure so yeah yeah yeah, north north hand and that's the thing i've i've just been influenced by like everything around me so like when i was a kid i listened to the albany classic rock station so like i listened to a lot of classic rock as a kid yeah and then you know, I was at the perfect time when MTV was blowing up. So I got into everything from MTV. So I was like, I really got into hip hop. I really got into metal, um, alternative, just like whatever. Yeah. Whatever they were putting on MTV. And then I just got to the point where, you know, I was, I listened to, I had a couple older brothers. So <laughs> I bought all their tapes, all their CDs. So like just at a very early age, anything I could get my ears on when it was in music class or if it was on the radio, if it was like good, like I wanted to like learn more about it and, 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 and find out more about that artist. I have to ask the iron horse. Did they see the stone pony and say, we have to do one better. Let's, <laughs> got him. <laughs> let's make this something harder than stone yeah. and something bigger and better than a horse, uh, than a pony. <laughs> now that, that is quite a diverse musical palette you're working with steven and i noticed you're wearing a billy eilish shirt which i love very much um <laughs> right that's a billy yeah, yeah 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 it is uh and so first of all a plus second of all so you're absorbing all this you're a sponge for all this different kind of music as i mentioned when i was younger you introduced me to things like craft work and i mean you're also so cultured in all sorts of other things movies and and things like that i think you and amy had taken me through my al pacino phase in early college and then and like showed me you could show me the hua. uh but so how do you take that how do you take all of that culture and decide okay i want to write about this so is getting to the point where I had to decide on a major. I was going to college. I had no idea. I talked to my, my, my dad is like, he's always the person I go to when I need advice. I'm not sure what's the next step. And he was just telling me to play to my strengths. And he was just saying, one of your big strengths is, is, um, is writing. And so then I just, I headed to journalism. I always had an interest in that. And, you know, while I was taking my journalism classes, um, I went to school at Marist in Poughkeepsie. While that was happening, I was just continuing to, like, just as a kid, when I went to college and I was meeting all these new people from different backgrounds, different places, I was getting even more exposure to different music that I've never listened to. So I just, like, got more into it. And I just started kind of taking the advice from my dad that I want to do something that I love. So I started thinking about music journalism because, I mean, at that point, I was reading all the music magazines. My brother would get me a lot of music magazines. And so I'd be, I'd be reading Rolling Stone, Spin, Q, some magazines from Britain, um, CMJ. And that's yeah. what I eventually, it was a 
holy terror of a of a commute, but I ended <laughs> up in um, at CMJ in Long Island, Great Neck. What was that like? Four hours or something? That's just, that, that's a long drive. <laughs> well, I I would take I would take um, LARR. I'll take the train. Yeah. Well, but before that, I'll take I'll take the train to Grand Central. Yeah. And then I'd have to take the subway, and then I'd get on the Long Island ro- uh, Railroad. And um, damn. Yeah, but it was my passion, and you know, I really wanted to get into it, and I didn't have luck with Rolling Stone, so I was going to go to any anyone who would, who would take me in, and it was a great experience. You know, I learned a lot about like I had a couple different roles where like. Some of the stuff I did was like contacting record labels and talking to them, getting some information from them about new uh, projects they had coming out, um, things like that. And they would take all this information from all the college radio stations, everything that was being played. And so they had all kinds of lists. So a part of that job was a lot of data processing. But for me, it was I wanted to see what people were listening to. And it was really interesting to see like what people were listening to all around the different, um, all the different sections in the country. So it was really cool. And they needed like an editorial assistant or something like that. But I wasn't, I, I didn't graduate yet. So just the timing wasn't there. Yeah. And then, and then after that, I just kind of went to like doing some freelance, doing some stuff for free. I, I then ended up connected with uh, All Music Guide. Yeah. And it's like, and at that point, I was doing a lot of, you know, reviewing freelance, doing it for free for, you know, for like local papers and magazines. At that point, I was just totally hating uh, music journalism because (laughs) (laughs) because it, it was like it was getting to the point where I was taking my what I really liked and it was turned into a job. And I was being asked to, to review a lot of things that I just didn't like. There were times when I was kind of getting nudged to give it a positive review when I didn't see. Oh, wow. I didn't hear any positive things Way. about what I was listening to. Scandal. So, yeah. So it became a thing that I hated. My girlfriend at the time would become my wife. She was just saying, you, you got to stop doing this. You got to do something that you can make steady money from, but you can still go and listen to music and do this and go to concerts, do things you like, but don't do it as a job. And so I got one review on allmusic.com. Wow. Really? And then, and like right after that happened, I heard I got accepted to grad school. And then I just like, I just like stopped being a music journalist. What was your review? (laughs) It was, so, like, another thing I, was, I, I learned... It wasn't Nickelback or something, was it? No. <laughs> <laughs> These guys rule. <laughs> there is a gun to my head. <laughs> Help, please. <laughs> no, it, was, it, it was that uh, Nickelback Creed uh, supergroup that mm-hmm. no one really heard about. But, uh, wow. No, it was... Um, I, I, I was trying to... Like, I was, I was, like, giving them suggestions. And it was, like, almost anything... You know, I would look at, like, what was being released in the, the next few weeks or whatever. And, like, everything that I was putting, somebody else was doing. Because, you know, I was on the bottom of the uh, of the ladder. And so, at that point, my brother was listening to some British music. I think it's Garrett's music. 
like early 2000s kind of yeah that last Britpop gasp mm. but yeah his name was uh, Craig David and I reviewed his album So you have all this background and, and ultimately you, you got into teaching and I would say that I don't I have never known Amy to uh, have a practical good sense in anything. So it makes no sense that she would uh, point you in the right direction in your life, <laughs> uh, at all. So you have all this background. Now, when you and I were speaking, we were talking a little bit about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But before we get quite to that, we're talking you're right on the precipice of maybe becoming a music journalist, maybe not from the on the turn of the millennium right in the late 90s into the 2000s so that was right around when the detroit scene was kind of popping and beginning to take off so what was your conception of detroit rock music and did did you have an awareness of the white stripes as they were emerging i definitely did i think when it comes to that like um that revival of garage rock i think what hit me uh before them is the strokes Mm -hmm. yeah that really made a profound impact on me. It sounded really fresh, but it also sounded really old at the same yeah. time. Yeah. It was, so it was a lot of cool stuff happening in the early 2000s. Like, so I was, I was really excited about the strokes and then really excited about system of a down, but then it got to the point, like you're saying, I started learning about the white stripes and like all those bands that started with the, uh, the, yeah. the, the hives, mm-hmm. the, 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 whatever, whatever else. But, yeah. um, when I first heard them, just like the Strokes, it was just so refreshing because it was getting really pathetic. <laughs> because I mean, I re- I remember when we would like some of the covers of CMJ when I was there. It was like '99, and it was like it was that time of, of Kid Rock. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm not yeah. trying to take anything from Kid Rock, but but at the same time, for, for <laughs> <laughs> we we uh, Kid we Rock can. is Let's Kid Rock ahead. is here. He's trying to make uh, Stephen leave a yeah. positive review for for his latest <laughs> song. <laughs> we would like to say on record publicly, it's okay. We take something away from Kid Rock. We don't care much for <laughs> yeah. the man. Well, yeah, it, it was it, it it was just that um, Rock was really yeah. Um, it was in trouble. trouble. It was a it was a twelfth round and and you had what you had old Metallica and they were still kind of hanging in there sort of like they were still charting at the time. You What's had weird new is metal. it only took a few years before grunge kind of died, yeah, fell completely. into a pit. Yeah. You know, like like they were still coming out with albums. Smashing Pumpkins was still coming out with stuff, but yeah, boy, was it not at the level or uh, popularity that that uh, anything else was. And I mean, Pearl Jam was still going strong and all that, but. But pop yeah. punk really took mm-hmm. the stage. Like that pop punk and new metal, that was kind of the guitar rock you had before the White Stripes. Like that was it. Yes, yes. Uh, which yes. is fine, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. You know, it is what it is. But it's just interesting that there was such a, there's such an elasticity to these movements sometimes. Um, yeah, it is strange because pop punk is a, is a much more, you know, a, for a punk movement, a cleaner sound than... Right. Uh, grunge was and then gr- the garage revival was a 
dirtier sound. So it goes kind of, and then like you go to the, back to the eighties and then you have this clean, crisp yeah. synthesized music. I don't know. It's strange. Like it got so good so quickly. And then it got so bad so quickly. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so when I started hearing the white stripes and, and groups like that, it reminded me of some of the stuff I used to listen to, but it was also new too at the same time. And it was, it was really cool. So, so let's talk about that particular time frame because the white stripes, and that's a great segue into our discussion about the, the hall of fame. So we're talking late nineties, 98, 99 was the release of their first album. And so the white stripes will be formally eligible in 2024 uh, to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because I guess there is a what is it a twenty five year or something yeah like break. I found a website futurerocklegends dot com which gave a projected induction year of twenty twenty five. I'm not sure what that's really based on, but can you give us a little bit of a background on you know how groups are considered for that because that that's the the topic you you came to us with. So we want to learn because I, I re- James and I have been there once to the hall of fame and it was lovely, but yeah, uh, you, cool. you kind of take these accolades with a grain of salt. Cause they're sort of arbitrary and things, but it's, you know, it's nice to be recognized and stuff, but tell us a little bit about that process. First of all, I'm really glad you mentioned that site because that site, like if anyone wants to learn more about it, that's the site to go to going to your question. Ever since I heard about the rock hall, of course that like, I found that so interesting because I love the history of music, um, especially American music, American music, British music, you know, music mm-hmm. that I guess of the 20, 20th and 21st century. Wait, Stephen, do you like American music? <laughs> I like American music. No. <laughs> I failed this quiz yet again. You like American music too. Well, it all harkens back to uh, American you know, styles of the blues and stuff that originated at yeah. least most of the rock music does. And that's, and that's, that's why I, that's why I connected to the rock call because like, the violent first fans, started, like the violent hearing about, about the, the, um, the, the process and the inductions, it was all, it was all basically that music that came from blues that came from bluegrass country. So I was really interested in it. And for me, the rock call is both a joke and it's also like a big deal at the same time because it's like the stuff I'm going to start telling you basically shows you how arbitrary, <laughs> how every like the whole pro like there is a process I'll tell you about, and the whole process is so arbitrary, and it has so much to do with who you know right. and who you're friends with. But at the same time, when you think about it, a lot of these people, you know, <laughs> when when they're in the obituary, one of the first two sentences will most likely be rock and roll hall of famer blank you know so at the same time you take a look at the last induction Foo fighters were inducted and paul mccartney shows up Mm -hmm. and you have uh eminem show up for uh ll cool j and you have you know you have these big people show up jay-z shows up so it's like at the same time it's kind of a big deal so yeah it's it's really weird it kind of starts with they have a nomination committee and for the longest time, they kept it so secret. They wouldn't really say who was in it, how many people were in it. And for the longest time, I believe that the nomination committee was kind of led by Jan Wenner, who was right. who's the head of Rolling Stone. Noted Leninista and uh, Thief. 
Jan Winter, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and so for a long time, who was nominated for the Rock Hall really reflected who was basically liked by Jan Winter and Rolling Stone. So the thing is, <laughs> so that's why a lot of people who were like really got into classic, who were into classic rock and were into stuff like Black Sabbath, they'd get pissed off when like it would take eight years for Black Sabbath to go into the Rock Hall and there'd be times where the Jake Isles band would get nominated. <laughs> you know? I mean, Freeze Frame is a jam. I just <laughs> want to say. It makes perfect sense because Jan Wenner, I made a joke that he's a Leninista, but he's a he's a Lenin guy and so it makes perfect sense. Of course, Lenin would be inducted in the Hall of Fame before McCartney. And way Cer- before Ringo. Certainly before George. <laughs> and certainly, and, and I think the Ringo induction was a phone call. I think that was Paul. Uh, no, I'm serious. <laughs> I, they I, just I, inducted him over the phone. <laughs> no, I think that was a phone call. I think that was McCartney calling whoever he had to to say, do, do this, please. It, it also makes sense. I mean, because Rolling Stone kind of guided the rock and roll voice of people mm. for generations you know i mean it it took them a while but they they really took the reins as to what popular music would be for a while and then that it it makes sense that they would or at least the guy who led that would crown himself king of rock and roll and (laughs) and be able to knight the the bands he deems fit i wish we had alternatives though like in the 70s you had alternatives you had cream and you had some of these other ones but for at least for us growing up james i mean and you steven too i mean rolling you mentioned a couple others q and things english nme is the only other like and i guess the modern equivalent would be um consequences sound and um, and what's the other one that everyone hates uh pitchfork pitchfork that's right yes But, but i guess what i'm saying is like for us Rolling Stone was kind of it, you know, like that was the music magazine, unless you're going like underground and stuff, which we didn't do. But mainstream wise, you didn't you didn't really have alternatives, at least not in America. Yeah. So he was the ultimate tastemaker. What an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) So 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 you got him in there. And then in the nominating committee, you also have a lot of executives. You have a lot of. Um, agents, you have people like that, so they're going to definitely go to bat for people who were on their labels, people who they've represented, and for the most part, it was a certain demographic for a very long time. And that's the kind of problem with the Rock Hall right now, is right now, 25 years ago, we should be getting into stuff that was in the late 90s. And because the nominating committee was so stuck for so long in the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. that they're now like, oh, I guess we got to like start putting people in from the 80s. And now you're like, you know, 15 years behind <laughs> and now you got a huge log jam and you still have like a lot of people it's still confused with like, what is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because some people fight over like, should hip hop be included? You have Dolly Parton being um, nominated this year. Well, I guess what they've been trying to do recently is I think they've been trying to have more different ages, different demographics, different types of people. And so it seems like you are starting to get some different things nominated. I think the big thing is like 
maybe eight years ago, but like they finally like started putting Progressive Rush yeah. as nominees because Jan Winter like totally hated Rush, totally hated Yes, all those bands. So they were just they were never. And what was funny is you had these bands who were being ignored for 10, 15 years. The moment they get on the ballot, they just went in right away because people are like, oh, Rush is yeah. not in the Rock Hall of Fame. They should probably be in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so, so the thing is, um, there was this big disconnect. They're trying to fix it. They got people like Questlove. They have Dave Grohl. They have Tom Morello. They, you know, they're, they're really trying to have people who, you know, listen to punk, who listen to metal listen to hip-hop to listen to uh, um stuff like that i do love that that quest love has turned into a white guy band-aid he's just <laughs> like well <laughs> we've got quest love over here i was gonna say you, you were you were mentioned that the rock and roll uh staff and choices were stuck in a certain demographic and i just want to say that demographic was pretty pretty sternly older white men yeah <laughs> and, and they're getting, getting us yeah, yeah. They're, they're getting they're getting better. I mean, Questlove is a start, I guess. <laughs> and then that's the other problem is is there, there's also like a disconnect between because now like they have a new person who's taken over for Jan Winter, and that's John Sykes. I mean, he was like, oh, an yeah. MTV guy, so right. so so he's really trying to like. You're starting to see more people who are like really big on MTV because like for people who grew up in the '80s. That was what was big. It's like if, if something was playing on MTV, I mean, everybody was listening to it. And so now they're like, you have people like Duran Duran who's getting nominated. They would probably never be nominated before um, without this new direction. But at the same time, talking about that old club that's been there for a while, for all those years, all those rock bands that were inducted, right? They pick what is nominated and it's put on the ballot. And they're the ones who are voting. So now it's like <laughs> <laughs> if you put <laughs> Stooges on the ballot, right? They might think it's the three Stooges. They're like, they have no idea. Like, <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, so, so now it's like a huge disconnect because now they're starting to try to put like, you know, really influential bands, but you put them on, you put like Soundgarden on but they most likely won't want to pick them because they don't know Soundgarden, right. you know? Right. They know the zombies who were like, you know, <laughs> who were put in like two years ago, Yeah, who were, I think, on the same ballot with Soundgarden. Wow. That is true. I mean, with with the 25-year gap, you know, you really kind of run into the trouble of who is the Hall of Fame for right. uh, to an extent, too? Like, what... Wh- what people are you trying to entice to look at this? And are you selecting the, the right group? It reminds me of the Grammys, honestly, or, or any yeah. award show where there is a committee. And if you send enough fruit baskets or if you're friends with one of the people on the committee or if you make enough noise, it doesn't matter if the thing's sold or if it's even particularly good, but you can push something through on strength of character. Or sometimes they do it for p- specific political or optics reasons. It's incredibly arbitrary. So when it, when we started this discussion, I actually thought there was going to be some kind of criteria, like X amount of units sold. Or it sounds like it's it is um, subjective. No, yeah. it's 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 basically twenty twenty five years. And there <laughs> you go. <laughs> and there is, you go. Is the MC five in? Is the MC five in there? In the no, be, because like I said, the the nominating committee is starting to get to a place where. I think they're really looking for 
who were really influential and important to, to main subgenres. So they keep putting the MC5. Uh, they were on the ballot last year. They're on the ballot this year. But at the same time, it's like you have the MC5 going against this year. They'd be going against um, Eminem. They'd be going against Beck, Lionel Richie. You know, people that are much more well-known, Dolly Parton, that are much more well-known than they are. The unfortunate thing is a lot of these groups are not going to get voted. And that's but the interesting thing. And I guess as part of this John Sykes era is they're realizing that the voting process is a little bit broken. So they're backdooring a lot of people now. So hmm. so last year, Kraftwerk was on the um, the ballot for maybe the eighth time or something like that. Yeah. And the thing is, I mean. You could argue that maybe along with the Beatles, I mean, Kraftwerk was the most important group of modern music in the last 50 years. Because the thing is, you look at Kraftwerk and you and they're basically the fathers of electronic music. Mm-hmm. And then they're basically the creepy uncles of hip hop music. Because, <laughs> because the, the first rap hit was Africa Bambada's um, Planet Rock, and that sampled Kraftwerk's Trans-Europe Express. And then you start looking at the early 80s and you got Kraftwerk's grip is like on everything because like New Wave, you know, it's got that electronic sound. Yeah. Alternative's got the electronic sound. Pop has the electronic sound. You know, Phil Collins, you know, he gets away from the drums and he's now doing all these crazy synthesizers. We learned that that was partly due uh, due to Peter Gabriel directing him against cymbal work on Peter Gabriel 3. Oh, really? They put the the intense gating on the drums to give you almost a a uh, an artificial snare sound to emulate cymbal work and that's wow. kind of the evolution of where the 80s that 80s drum noise comes from is peter gabriel <laughs> being a nutcase which is <laughs> which is wonderful actually i i love it when the origin is something is somebody being a nutcase i love that <laughs> i think peter gabriel's a, is, he's an amazing nutcase He's an amazing like nutcase. Old yeah. concerts, like with Genesis. I mean, yeah. it was like he was like in kabuki kind of like <laughs> yeah. a, like uh, costumes. I mean, he was crazy. He was wearing dresses before Bowie, Bowl, all of them. He was yeah, in dresses yeah. in the '60s, getting booed off the stage. Like he was out there, you know. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah, but like, uh, make a long story short, just so so with craft work, just like so important to so many different genres, subgenres that you know but nobody knows them so what the rock hall is starting to do is they're just starting to backdoor people so they're like you are early influence now so they gave they gave an early influence award to craft work and they just like slipped them right in yeah and then they put they gave like an early and because i think they're really you know they're really serious about hip-hop and it's, and it's starting to look weird because a lot of hip-hop they're putting in they're putting like the second generation but they're mm-hmm. not like putting 
a lot of that first generation. Oh yeah, the the uh, what I call the food generation, where it's primarily all the rap songs in the very early '80s are primarily food based, <laughs> which is true. Come on, I'm I mean, not gonna go th- are you talking about the Fat Boys? I'm, I'm not, not gonna, gonna litigate this again, but all I'm saying is the Fat Boys so... are back, and <laughs> and they they are they are never gonna be whack. They're is almost all I'm saying. Always rapping about food or like what somebody's cooking or something in those very early that's, rap songs um, that's uh that's uh rapper's delight is all about right? like um yeah have you ever been to my mother's house and the food just ain't no good and then you go to your neighbor's house and the food is slightly better and you're like what? and then <laughs> Hall- and, and then um, really popular and, and then christmas and hollis Mm-hmm. <laughs> like half of that's about eating during Christmas time. Mom's cooking chicken and collard greens, rice and stuff, and macaroni and cheese. Most you know. most of my my friends who are are very into rap consider Christmas and Hollis just a novelty song at best, and not really a rap song. I mean, it's but it's what Stephen's saying. It's that first generation, which is yeah. drastically different. It's wildly different. Yeah, it takes a lot from nursery rhyme and stuff too. Which it was the beginning of. Of that of that genre, I I don't know I I dig that that era. The Fat Boys are actually great. Uh, I do I do actually listen to them on occasion, and they are for people who are you know like you said, Paul, singing about food. Um, <laughs> they, I mean, it's pretty hard stuff. Like they do, they sound yeah. like they're, you know, they're they're doing some some some. Uh, I mean, it, it's like kind of into the gangster rap era, right? Uh, with the Fat Boys, but still still slightly approachable. I guess. So it's apropos we're discussing this today because just this past week, Jack White was interviewed by WRIF's Meltdown radio show where he was asked about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. And I'll just read this quote from their website. When asked about the prospect of being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in a new interview with WRIF's Meltdown, White quips, I don't know, where is that? In Cleveland or something? I haven't really thought about that. I mean, you know, all the awards are political, really, so it's hard to really grasp any real thought about what they actually mean. You know, maybe it should be called the Music Museum instead. And that goes to what we're talking about with the genre thing, because I don't think it it is uh, debatable that LL Cool J is a uh, hip-hop artist and not a rock star, although I guess it depends on what your definition of rock is. So I don't, Stephen, I don't know if you exactly. know this, but but have they defined rock or is they are they just literally using rock as a stand-in for popular music? Well, the thing is, when it started, right, it really, when they said rock and roll, right, they were really talking about Little Richard, Elvis Presley, Chuck right. Berry, because when you look at the first class, it's those people. Yeah. So rock and roll in the 50s, it was very what Little Richard was doing and what Presley was doing and what Joe Turner was doing. It just seemed like they took everybody kind of took a little bit of blues. They took a little bit of this little that. And it just seemed like most of them were just kind of going from that. And then everything got crazy in the 60s and everything just starts starts branching. And then in the 70s, it gets even crazier. And so, so that's the thing. I think a lot of people, when they think of rock, they think of classic rock. They think of that format on radio. I think a lot of people don't think of when they say rock, they're not thinking of Chuck Berry. Yeah. And so I think 
like James was saying, it's gotten to the point where you have some different generations that are now starting to get interested in what this is and they want to support, you know, the music that they like and what is this place supposed to be? Music genres in any capacity is a relatively new concept pushed by marketing agencies and stuff to be able to put their music up front at record stores, mm-hmm. uh, mostly. Yeah, and so. so it's it's a strange, arbitrary definition. Like like Paul said, is there a definition for rock and roll? Because it, it, it changes so quickly from band to band. From It, it just kind of pigeonholes what... It, what this form of art is into a thing, you know? I mean, like you were saying, I, I, you have 50s rock and stuff, but, like, do you have Bowser from Shanana in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because he's he's just aping 50s rock. Like, wh- where do you go? Like, he's doo-wop, I guess, more, but, you know. Right. Yeah, and it's also, is it just because people don't want to say pop? I mean, because... That's a whole thing, too, is the division at the end of the 60s between pop and rock, and then no one wanted to call... You started calling something pop, it became a derogatory term, where it hadn't been for 20 years. Suddenly, it's a derogatory term. So, is that... And that was largely led by Rolling Stone and Jan Wenner. So Bowser that's from actually, Shannon. Oh. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but it actually makes sense that, that there would be an aversion there or a, an allergy to that term because yeah. Jan Wenner was actively using that term to disparage people from the 60s who had continued you know, in the popular vein as opposed to the John Lennons of the world who made it their art or their whatever, their masterpiece, whatever. So it actually makes perfect sense that Jan Wenner would go ahead and start dictating all these rules. The more you're talking about this, the more I'm like, oh, of course. Of course yeah. all of this works like that. I mean, look, they built a nice building. Like, you can go there and see the wall from Pink Floyd. and Like, you can – there's nice things there, and it's very cool. But actually, the more we're talking about this, the more I kind of don't care for it much at all. Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> and another great source is this podcast that's called Who Cares About the Rock Hall? <laughs> There's a two people who host it, and it's basically like one guy's obsessed with the rock hall, and then his friend like totally doesn't care and hates most of the people who are in the rock hall, and <laughs> and so they just discuss and they have a lot of these discussions. And what what's interesting is um, I think his name is Joe, the host. He's kind of said that if there's any criteria. And if there's any, like, someone just trying to wrap their head around, like, what they're trying to do, I guess what it is can be, what is the music of the youth? What is mm. the music that the youth uses to rebel? Pop. It's called popular music. Pop. <laughs> yeah, but, but, if you, but if you think but if you think about the 60s, right, you may have had, like, on a pop station, you may have had the Beatles, and Perry Cuomo, yeah. <laughs> and then Perry Cuomo follows after him, and Frank Sinatra follows after him, and the fifth edition follows after. So it's like, I think it was like, it, it, was, it was like what I remembered in the 80s. I remember, uh, like, you know, watching MTV and, like, digging it, and they got to a point where, okay, we can't put Peter Gabriel or Phil Collins anymore on MTV because... They're like in their thirties and they just look way too old. So they like make VH one. So like the people in the thirties can have something. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just throw them a bone. Throw the thirties a bone. <laughs> <laughs> and it and so so, so I, I think that's the big thing where it's like 
there's popular music, but was Frank Sinatra ever like a way for a kid to say F you to their parents? I believe that that stigma around pop music is breaking. I mean, not not just because a good timing rock and roller like myself can be wearing a shirt like this, or you can be wearing a shirt like that, uh, Stephen. But yeah, because it's I feel like genre is kind of bleeding together these days. Oh yeah, in a, in a really beautiful way. James and I were just talking the other day about how country music has kind of weirdly become sort of popular with the children again a little like i'm hearing pedal steel on pop songs and that's weird that's super weird but it's good and i love it i love that that's happening Uh, but i feel like there is a blend it's also strange that maybe you can elaborate more on this Stephen. is what are the criteria like are there no criteria for what band can get in aside from 25 years is there because like to me it's just it, it's they're trying to make it the baseball hall of fame they're trying to make it like these are people who who get into it but like the baseball hall of fame has statistics you need to reach in order to get into the baseball hall of fame or records you've broken or whatever and this is just like yeah i like this band a lot do you think we could vote for them yeah i think we could vote for them all right let's all vote for this band <laughs> <laughs> Well, like listening to that podcast, I think he was getting very bothered by the lack of criteria. And I think he started coming up with criteria. And I think it makes sense. And I think I think we could use that criteria with what the white stripes, some of the criteria that if you start looking, most of the groups either hit most of those or they're like number one thing is one of those like influence is definitely Mm -hmm. um something you could consider as criteria so if like you're at mc5 right you're not gonna have album sales you're not gonna have hit songs (laughs) you'll have a drinking problem definitely (laughs) (laughs) sounds like a great look i know i know the mc5 i love the mc5 the way you're describing them they sound terrible (laughs) (laughs) but it shocks me that they never got in because john they have the critical they they have the critical component that critics know that they're they are very important. They're very good. They change the direction of music. And so for the MC5, unfortunately, because they don't have the popularity, they don't have the singles, they don't have the longevity, they don't have the album sales, they're going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but they're most likely going to be put in as an early influence. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is there seems to be a divide where I think the nominating committees tries to put a lot of those critical influence kind of groups like the replacements you know i think the replacements would never be voted in on a ballot but if you look at it they have the influence they have i mean and that and that's the unfortunate thing is it seems like there's a heavier weight on the popularity on the celebrity the sales like eminem who's going to be a first ballot um 
he's on his first ballot and I just don't see how he doesn't go in because he's just so famous. And unfortunately, you have people like Eric B and Rakim. They're not famous, so they're not in. De La Soul, the uh, Tribe Called Quest. They've only been nominated for the first time. And I don't see people from 70s and 60s rock bands voting for a Tribe Called Quest. I'm just trying to wrap my head around what the place is supposed to do. Because it seems like they're trying to build a Mount Rushmore is the kind of yeah, yeah. The, the, the ideal of what they wanted. But you can't build a Mount Rushmore where you keep adding heads because the mountain will eventually end and then soon you'll just have a planet Earth made of, of presidential heads. Like, it's, you can't... It's, it never ends. So, I, I, like, what should this place be? Should it just be a museum? Like Jack White yeah, said, a music should this museum, just be a music right. museum? Because you can't just put everybody on a pedestal because then the pedestal's worthless and we're all are then everyone's lifted up. <laughs> so, well, I mean, they're trying to highlight the cream of the crop. I guess. I mean, it's just a big pat on the back, right? I mean, that's, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Cause but, what, at the end of the day, like what you're saying, like it's really just for the obit a little. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if especially like you talk about the replacements, like James and I had no idea who the replacements were until like, four months ago and then we had somebody on the shows raving about the replacements so i wound up listening to a bunch of replacements like, oh, oh these guys rule but i had no idea uh exactly so, yeah but um, i'm sure you know like all the people who sound like replacements right ex- that's i'm sure you know the right. google dolls the pop the power pop they spawn power pop without replacements you don't necessarily get people like brendan benson or the people who came after that, you know, even jellyfish bands like that, who were mm-hmm. in that power poppy kind of vein. Um, in the words of Marty McFly, you're not ready for it, but your kids are going to love it. <laughs> so in 2015, NME, in an interview with Jack, they talked a little bit about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It says White was asked about the chances of the White Stripes reforming. However, White painted a negative picture saying she, Meg, doesn't answer her phone. When another fan asked if he would perform with her again, White replied, nope, that time is gone. Asked what might happen if the band were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, White responded, doubt it, doubt it. Uh, so that's a bummer. But I I feel like enough has happened between 2015 and 2022 where they drag Meg up there. I feel like she'd go. You know, she's going to Little Caesars to see the Boarding House Reach Tour. She's around. I feel like she'd get up there. James, thoughts? You think they get Meg up there? No, I'm I'm, be- I'm going with yes. I'm going yet. Meg would show for that. Uh, Jack wouldn't. Jack wouldn't do it with her. I don't think the the art the project is gone. The project is done. Not a performance, but like literally go and um, accept the award. Hmm. I still don't think so. You don't think Meg would go? I don't think so. I think it's a it's a a trap in a way to get her back into the spotlight you know it's like she she wouldn't want that she's she's sure she's going to that little caesar's arena show or whatever but she's staying backstage she's not she's not getting photographed on purpose she's not trying to be back in the in the limelight and i don't i think anything that remotely resembles that is going to you know for lack of a better term scare her away i mean anxiety sucks and would make you short of breath at the thought of it or whatever so like uh i don't i don't see it i think she's going all right <laughs> i don't see i don't see how you don't go i mean other than like i guess mccartney didn't go to his the first time but he was also in like being like suing people actively at that time but 
I don't know. Steven, what do you think? You think Meg's showing up at the Rock Hall with Jack? But I don't think she would. No? Be- because the thing is, they of, cor- they, they of course don't have to play, but you have to go up there and they expect you to do a speech. And I just don't see how that would be anything she'd want. Uh, well, you may be right. It's two against one. <laughs> um, I think she's going. You, everybody out there, you find us on the instruments of our social destruction and tell us what you think. Do you think that Meg will show up to the Hall of Fame? Do you think Harper will show up at the Hall of Fame? (laughs) Do you think... Uh, Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I will write a little uh, strip of paper and write, do you think she's going to the Hall of Fame, yes or no, and pass it to you in class, and I need you to write one or the other. Are you going to take... Jack and Meg to the prom. I mean, Hall of Fame. Yes or no? <laughs> can I can I depress you Please. just a little more? Depress just one more <laughs> thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> the first year that they are eligible, they may not even be nominated. Uh, and for what? I, and now I need to know. <laughs> depress me. Well, be, be, because someone I would say is somebody you could comp to the, the White Stripes. When it comes to success, sales, albums, album reviews, is Beck. Yeah. And mm. he was eligible, I think, three years ago. And it took them, they did not put, the nominating committee did not put him on a ballot for three years. Whoa. Because the, th- the thing, like James, I think, was kind of mentioning is it's a business. Because it's not just about the museum. It's about they do a big concert every year. And they also have a televised program on HBO. And so the thing is, they're probably thinking, we have these artists this year. And let's not waste back. We might need some more in a couple of years. So let's hold them on the ballot. Yeah. And so they might do that with the White Stripes, especially if they don't know if they can get a performance from anybody. Oh, man. Hmm. Wow. Well, wow. Here, here's the so there's some more good news for everybody. <laughs> well, here's the hope I have, and I'm going to be the optimist of this of this conversation. Who seems to think Meg is going to show at this thing, which I do. But the the White Stripes, if nothing else, have been critical darlings since the moment they popped on the scene. Like oh. they, even when they didn't pop the popular zeitgeist, like Rolling Stone, particularly like places like Rolling Stone, NME especially. These kinds of outlets were raving about them. They made a lot of noise, and Jack's kept up kind of a high, highish profile. I guess you could argue Beck did the same thing, but I don't know. I feel like as far as literally like critical darling metrics go, I feel like they're pretty high up there. So I have hope that that thinking is still kind of in there, you know? Well, I told, like I agree with you. If they're on a ballot, people will have to vote for them because – Right. They like all all the criteria. They hit everything. They, they're one of those few groups that really got it all. The problem is is that the political part of the Rock Hall, where do they for the HBO show for any other reasons, do they hold on to them for a couple years right. uh, strategically? Because yeah. they they did that with Van Halen. They did that with Metallica where they, they kept them for a year. And then, of course, the moment they get on a ballot, everyone's like, Van Halen, of course, they're in the right. Rock Hall. Metallica, of course. But 
They're looking for those headlining acts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, they're populating a festival. That's what they're doing. Those sons of bitches. <laughs> it's like the Illuminati that that nominating <laughs> committee. I mean, it's who knows what they're doing. What kind of yeah crazy? Oh, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The Hall of Fame is shaped like a pyramid. <laughs> oh no! What have we discovered? <laughs> That's all right, James. Jack's uh, Masonic. <laughs> all He's right, a Masonic youth. Stephen, I am now more depressed. But thank you for joining us on the program today. We're gonna have to get you back one of these days to depress us further about something else because this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. It was- yeah, thank you so much, Stephen. This was enlightening yeah, and, a lot of fun, guys. and also um, bedeviling because now I just, I wonder what it's all about now. I would say love to the family, but your family is my family and my family is your family. And so I won't say that. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. All right. See, yeah, see, we, we, we got some positivity. Thanks, guys. <laughs> thank you. James, we'd like to thank Steve and Mercier for joining us on the program today, and thank you all for listening and supporting us this season. We were very lucky to have him on. Very lucky and famous. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you all of you for joining us every every episode. We really appreciate your support. Uh, there's an ad at the end of the show. If you'd like to support us monetarily, that would be lovely. Um, we will put you into the podcast hall of fame if you uh support us and you can head to our patreon and do that and there's an ad at the end of the show that will point you in that direction thank you for uh, everybody who who does support us that's very nice that's true and james i guess uh, until next episode i will be looking for a home using shovels and rope to dig into the dirt of the luck gardens uh, where i will find the specter of levon helm's leg bullet Wow. Uh, And I will be looking for a home inside the Mount Rushmore of rock and roll that I like to call Mount Luckmore. Wow. Wow. The infinite, infinite Rushmore that James has postulated. Like, (laughs) there's there's two infinite Rushmores. There's an infinite Rushmore that's just a never-ending movie by Wes Anderson. Anderson, Thank you. And... um, there's also the one where there's just um, millions of of heads. All right, bye everybody. See you next time. Bye bye. The Third Man Podcast was created, edited, and produced by Paul and James Kaminsky. Our theme song, We're the Third Men, was recorded by the band Radkey, who can be found at radkey.net. To contact the show, visit thirdmenpodcast.com or email thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at the thirdmen underscore podcast on Instagram, at thirdmencast on Twitter, and search the Third Men on Facebook. Thanks to our Patreon patrons, to everyone who has rated, reviewed, and subscribed, and see you next time.
And that's an episode. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. Back to our song. Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough, but if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right, that's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast, and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody, I'll see you on the show. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. A judge ruled it. At one time, we were both on Maury. <laughs> you are the brother. Ah! Yeah, then a bailiff came out. I'm confusing all daytime talk shows. Have you seen Judge Steve Harvey? We're going watch to watch that. No. Was it just Anthony Bourdain? Did he ask to be there? And then they were just like, I guess we have chefs now. I guess, I guess we just have chefs now. <laughs> it was Boyardee. Uh, which I call Luck Soup. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good bit. Um... That's great. Yeah, it comes and goes, right? It's uh, <laughs> it's never going to well, be all. I mean, that's the thing. It seems it seems like when the when the shit hits the fan, it, it's like a serious, massive one all at once. <laughs> Just a big old nasty shit. One of those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of those gotta throw away the pants kind of deals, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to you have to use the tongs. And yeah, the tongs. If you're lucky, if you're lucky, you can tong. 
Uh, they'll they'll say, "Oh, I hear Portland's dangerous," yeah, and I'll say, "Yeah, <laughs> I hear I hear you're uh, likely to have heart disease." <laughs> as long as we're just talking about that stuff, non sequiturs yeah, and things. <laughs> I'm gonna start using that. It's actually pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Trying to, I don't remember what the. Oh, okay, that's what the second. Well. This is for Paul for later on. When you're editing this, you can hear the Book of Boba Fett's ridiculous theme song. And now you will be cursed with the knowledge that there is a bunch of guys going, um, uh, um, a book, a book, a book, a boba, a fat, book, a book. James. Hi. We're putting a bit in on a house as well. <gasps> it's we're not going to get it. It's more of an exercise. <laughs> we went Sorry. forty over on the last one. I think I told you and did not get it. So. Have you considered starting a riot there to make people leave more? You have a child lurking behind you. I know. Got <laughs> stuck on this hat again. It's okay. That was fun. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 Roomba got stuck. So I cannot believe she is that big. Oh my! I God. know. That is so nuts. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So the kids, the kids, right? That's the show. That's what Catherine's music is going to be. Is the that's thing the, that the, the, the children were rebelling? They were. They, they saw us having a nice time on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> There's well, like, you know, I, things for Frank Sinatra, didn't they? Uh, Frank, <laughs> Frank, yeah, a lot of red meat in that diet. Um, well, you know, I, I really like the idea that I do, I... Trans Europe Express. Trans Europe Express. Trans- I'm saying hello. I feel like a moose. Put on these headphones and you can hear the call.